morning. My name is Paul Bailey. I'm one of the elders here at Pillar Jacks. Um, I have to apologize. Recovering from a cold right now, so you have to stick with me if I reach down, grab some water, get a drink, and uh, getting over that this week. Um, so the title of today's message is Consecrated for Purpose in the Wilderness of Life. Um, let's go ahead and begin by reading from our passage this morning from Exodus 19. We will then go ahead and pray and dive into the passage. So as you turn there, Exodus is the second book of the Bible. We'll be about halfway through that book in chapter 19, starting in verse 1 through the end of the chapter. So Exodus 19, starting in verse 1. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. Then Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called out to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you out, bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my tre treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. In verse 7, So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of the people, and you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. And they washed their garments, and he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the, of, of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, 
Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord, to look, and many of them perish. Also, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to, the mount, to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we thank you and praise you for bringing us together here together just to worship as a church to you. Lord, we praise you for the work you are doing, especially in China that, that Aaron talked about. We see that you are consecrating your people. And Lord, we just ask that today, this morning, you be honored as we look at how you consecrate us for your work, for holy purpose. In your name, amen. So, I'll confess that I was convicted early on in my preparation for this message. After reading through the text the first few times, I was almost disappointed. There was no great climax to this passage and story. I noticed there were no great plagues, no parting of the Red Sea, no complete destruction of the Egyptian army, which I especially would have enjoyed preaching on. And we are before the great unveiling of the Ten Commandments written on stone tablets, God's holy word. Truly an awesome event. Instead, we see what we see here in this passage, there's a dialogue between God, Moses, and the people of Israel. However, as I continued to read and study, I was convicted because I quickly realized that what I was considering mundane was God speaking with his people, consecrating them according to his will and perfect plan. I also quickly realized that this is really where we spend the majority of our time in our lives, right? Being actively led through the Lord's consecration and his plan while being ungrateful for his perfect guidance, oblivious to his perfect plan, and all the while wanting to see the next big event uh, that God has for our lives, wanting to see those, that handwritten note on the wall to us, those stone tablets, the parting of the Red Sea. So the more I thought and prayed, the more excited and encouraged I became in preparing this message. Because in this passage, we can all see God's plan and work come to fruition in the people of Israel. And in seeing this plan, we here today at Pillar Jacks can better see God's plan and work in our own lives throughout life's circumstances, maybe in the wilderness of life. And in that, we can praise God and rest in that plan. So the main point for today's message is the Lord consecrates his followers according to his holy purpose and plan. The Lord consecrates his followers according to his holy purpose and plan. So I tried a, uh, a new thing here today, and we'll see if we uh, put it up on the screen. But I have a PowerPoint slide. I'm a staff officer in the Marine Corps, so I cannot communicate without PowerPoint. If you're in the Marine Corps, you know that. But it's only one slide, so it's not that bad. So point one for this message is the Lord prepares his followers for consecration. 
the Lord prepares his followers for consecration. And we see this in verses 1 through 4. So first of all, one biblical definition of consecration is to devote to the service or worship of God as to consecrate a church, to give oneself unreservedly as to the service of God, or to set apart to a sacred office. So today we will use the idea of consecration as being set apart for holy service to God. In verses 1-4, through four, we see how God uses the circumstances of life to prepare His followers for consecration. We see here that God has brought Israel into the wilderness to encamp at Mount Sinai. This idea of God using the wilderness or the desert to focus on God and prepare for His work in their life seems to be a consistent trend, right? We see Jesus, before he entered into his own ministry, went into the wilderness to be tested, to be tempted, to be ministered to by angels, and then come, come back and begin his worldly ministry. For all those that have seen or that have been to a wilderness or desert, you know that this makes sense since really in the desert, there are not many distractions, right? Other than the blazing sun, the desire to find shade and to survive. So here we can see an easy application for our life. If you find yourself in the literal or figurative wilderness, it may be that God is using those circumstances, right, to get a hold of you, to focus on him and get a hold of your attention. And we see this, especially in the military, right, oftentimes with PCSing. We question, you know, why the, why the Marine Corps or whatever service you're in is sending you to the next place. Maybe the literal desert out in 29 Palms. So next, you also notice in this passage that God parks Israel at the base of a mountain in a desert. Once again, having been, you know, myself to mountains in a desert in 29 Palms, Arizona, Iraq, and Afghanistan, this is the last place that you want to be for an extended period of time. Where you want to be is where the Israelites wanted to be, right? And where did they want to be? They wanted to be in the valley flowing with milk and honey that God had promised them or at minimum flowing with water, right? Not in the desert. So you can take a look at, at this photo here. This is what one of the mountains that is believed to have been the original Mount Sinai, and there are monuments there and, and whatnot. But it doesn't really matter for our purposes here. But you can ask yourself looking at this picture, is this the kind of place you want to be parked for any period of time? And I'm not talking about parked in front of it in your AC looking at it, or hiking up it knowing that you can go back, hop in your car, but park there for months, for years, etc. Once again, if you find yourself in front of a mountain in the desert, it is likely a part of God's plan to guide your life. So during this time, notice how God reminds Israel in verses 1 through 4. He reminds Moses and Israel of his deliverance and salvation from the Egyptians. Similarly, God's consecration begins when he delivers us from our bondage to sin. This deliverance was not the end for the people of Israel, and our salvation through God's grace is not the end in and of itself, but the beginning of God's consecration and sanctification and work in our lives. But our growth through active consecration must begin with our remembrance of the weight of our sin and the destination for us without God's saving grace. Importantly, 
to note here. So this passage and the main message is primarily for the believer and follower in Christ. If sitting here today, you know or you think you are not a follower of God, you have not yet been, been delivered from slavery and bondage. You first need to go to the Lord to reconcile with God before he can consecrate you for his holy purpose and plan. So you might be sitting here thinking as well that I'm not, a, I'm not in slavery to sin. I can do what I please. I live in America and we're free. I'm not in bondage. I'm free. Well, I'd ask you can, to consider your life and look inwards. Are you truly living at peace? Are you at peace with your family? Are you at peace with your neighbor? Are you at peace in your job? If you're honest with yourself, you will recognize the turmoil all around you and within you. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7 explains, you don't have to turn there, but I'll read for you. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let not your reasonableness let your reason, reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Only the maker of heaven and earth can give you that peace. You will still continue to face the same turmoil in your life, However, you can face that turmoil and still have inner peace through reliance on God. The Lord prepares his followers for consecration. But if you do not have this relationship with God to begin with, you are still under that same slavery the Israelites were under in Egypt. For those that have a relationship with Christ through faith, God has a purpose for your life, as we will see now in point number two. So our point number two is that the Lord consecrates his followers for a purpose. The Lord consecrates his followers for a purpose. In verses 5 through the first half of verse 8, God spells out for Moses and the people of Israel that he intends for Israel to have a special purpose, to be a treasured possession, to have special value before the Lord God. Secondly, he has purposed also that Israel be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation set apart from all others to be as active servants committed both to holiness and glorifying God. So here we can see a picture of what God intends for us here today as followers of Christ. We see that we are special in his eyes, that he desires for us to be his committed servants set aside for holiness. This is his purpose for setting us apart, for saving us from our bondage to sin. It's not to live out our lives any way we please for our own selfish ambition, to please ourselves. We are set apart to grow in faith and for consecration of purpose to God's holy will. This requirement, however, is also clear from verses 7 and 8, that we must obey and keep the Lord's commandments. Now, the context clearly for us today is different than at, the, at this time in Exodus 19, but the principles remain the same. We are to love the Lord our God with our whole being and not place anyone or anything in between our relationship with the Lord. We should respond just as Moses and Israel do in the passage and say, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. 
This faithful commitment to obedience and God's purpose in our life requires belief. So our point number three, seen really in verses eight and nine, is that consecration requires belief. Consecration requires belief. So in these verses, God explains that he is coming to speak with Moses so that Moses and the people of Israel will hear and believe forever. Here we see God's plan continues to be at work. God led his people into the wilderness and to a mountain to get their attention, to get them to focus on him so that he can work in their lives, so he can speak in their lives and consecrate them according to his purpose. But central to this work in our lives, the prerequisite is his followers that us, we must believe and have steadfast faith in him. So it's no different for us, right? Our maturity in faith, our growth in faith, our consecration being set apart and the active consecration depends on Christ and on our faith and belief in God's saving power on the cross and being able to see that saving power at work in our lives. He foretold here in the passage of his coming to speak with Moses and the people of Israel. And simultaneously, the Lord is giving us a picture and foretelling of his son's later arrival that we might believe in him forever. And really, the entire Old Testament and this passage here is filled with direct pictures and prophecy for Jesus' coming and his death and sacrifice. Over this past Good Friday and Easter, right, we read about how Isaiah foretold of Christ's death on the, Christ, on the cross, his sacrificial death as a lamb going to the slaughter. So today we have record of Christ coming to earth, both in the Bible and elsewhere in history, being born in Bethlehem. But we also see his presence all around us every day, both in nature as his handiwork, but most importantly within his infinite power at work in our lives and in the lives of his followers. The book of Romans really, I mean, every book is amazing, but has to be my favorite book, at least right now, speaks extensively of being no longer dead in our sin, but alive in Christ. One of my favorite passages, Romans chapter 6, verses 20 through 23 says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and in its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this work and growth in our lives is direct evidence that we can see to strengthen our faith, and our belief in him being the person of Jesus forever. The Lord revealed himself to the Israelites in this passage and later through his son Jesus that we might believe and there is no consecration in our lives without first being centered on Christ through belief in his salvation from bondage to sin. So what does this require? Point number four is that consecration requires active obedience. Consecration requires 
active obedience. So this is the point, right? This is the turn where we have to turn belief into action. And see that, and we also see the consequences for disobedience for those, from those instructions is severe. So between verses 9 and 15, the Lord gives Moses and the people specific instructions on how to prepare for his coming on Mount Sinai. The center point of this instruction, right, is that Moses is to consecrate the people for the Lord's arrival through washing and setting a barrier or setting limits around Mount Sinai. The separation and preparation was and is necessary because God is holy and we are not worthy in and of ourselves to be in his presence without being purified. So this purification screams of our need for a savior. Notice the Lord's coming on the third day in the passage. This is a picture of Jesus' resurrection years later. God is giving the Israelites and us here today of a picture of our need for Jesus to replace our own inadequacies and futile attempts at holiness through our own power. Also notice, though, the harsh consequences for violation of his instructions. Because God is holy and because we are not worthy on our own to be in his presence, the consequences for violating his instructions are death, right? Yet again, we see a picture of God's righteous wrath. Being, which is poured out on those that do not believe and follow his instructions. So the same is exactly true for us here today. For those that do not believe, the consequences of separation from Christ for not believing in Christ is eternal condemnation. And this isn't pleasant in, in U.S. society today, right? Which desires to be free of any consequences and the harsh reality. The point is that our consecration requires active obedience. For the Israelites, Jesus had not yet come out to wipe out their transgression. And God used physical purification as a representation of their need for a Savior. For us today, Jesus has come, praise God. Yet if we have not believed in him and have not made him king of our lives, when we, when we die, it will be just as if we violated the limits that were set up around Mount Sinai. We will face the consequences of separation from God and everlasting punishment. However, we can thank God because through our faith in Jesus, displayed through active obedience, we don't have to suffer those consequences. As it says in 1 John chapter 1, verses 7-9, through 9, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so this leads us to point number five. It is the, the Lord consecrates. The Lord consecrates. Between verses 16 through 20, we see how the Lord reveals himself as promised to his followers. He comes as promised on the third day and speaks in thunder through smoke and a loud trumpet. His presence was awesome. Not awesome as a catchphrase, which I often, often use, but so awesome, in fact, that it says the people and the very mountain, the ground, 
trembled. Also as promised, when Moses spoke to the Lord, God answered him so all would hear and believe. If it wasn't already clear from the people's rescue from slavery earlier in, in Exodus, or from the Egyptian army being demolished at, at the Red Sea, or from being rescued from starvation in the wilderness, it was and is right now the Lord God who consecrates and leads us through active consecration. He uses the people in our lives, the leaders like Moses, to guide us along, but it is his awesome and mighty power that is to be feared, loved, and followed. This is why when the Lord came down to call Moses, Moses obeyed and went up to the Lord. He heard the Lord. He knew that the Lord's power was at work. He believed and he followed the Lord's command. We can also see here, and we've talked about it before in earlier messages, that Mo we can see Moses as a representation of Jesus, right? It's Jesus that was sent down on earth. It was Jesus that rescued and pulled us out of our sin. But in this passage, in Exodus, it's Moses that God uses to send down. Moses was not God, clearly. He was a flawed human, and we see it all throughout Exodus. But he... Yet again, God uses Moses as a representation of what Jesus will do on earth. So this selection and section is yet another picture of Christ's future coming. And it's no accident that the Lord came on the third day. We know that Jesus rose on, on the third day and conquered death and our sin. We also see the trumpet blast as a signal for the people to come up to the mountain. Well, much later in the Bible, right, in 1 Thessalonians Chapter 4, verse 16, it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So not only does this passage foretell of Christ coming to earth the first time to speak directly to us, it also foretells of his second coming to draw his followers up to heaven. The entire section, so no surprise, is a nuanced picture of our need for a Savior, our need for Jesus. It was the Lord consecrating Israel in the, in the Old Testament as a picture of Jesus' future purification for our sins on the cross. It is God's plan for us, and it is God who consecrates. So our sixth and final point from verses 21 through 25 is that Consecration is iterative. Consecration is iterative. And we should expect and embrace the repetition of testing. In life, anything you want to improve on requires repetitive testing. There are countless and endless examples of this. But one of which I think will be easy to recognize here is when the Marine Corps wants to upgrade anything, let's call it its main battle rifle, its assault rifle. It puts it, the new product through a battery of tests, right? It drags it through the mud, it drops it over a cliff, it dives with it in salt water, and then it shoots thousands and thousands of rounds through it until it fails. Then it gives it back to the manufacturer and it tells the manufacturer to fix the problems it, it found during testing. If the manu manufacturer wants the contract, 
or if they're the lowest bidder, let's all be honest. It goes back and fixes the problems. Then it does its own testing, hands it back to the Marine Corps, which then does the same iterative testing over again. So if this weren't to happen, you'd have catastrophic problems. In Vietnam, the military transitioned too rapidly from the M14 battle rifle. Now, I'm a history nerd, so you're gonna have to bear with me. Went too quickly from the main battle rifle over to the M16. The result was that there were a lot of jamming and Marines and soldiers actually died on the battlefield because they transitioned too quickly and did not do adequate testing. So we are a little different. Christians are weapons for Christ. Though, let me be clear, not to kill people for Christ. Everybody heard that. But we do require iterative testing. James 1 verses 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now the point from here should be apparent from the ups and downs in the people's response here in the passage and in Exodus to God's instructions and in the circumstances throughout. But here I think we see a really interesting picture of this iterative process. Notice that Moses apparently gets to the top of the mountain, right? God had called him up there. And the Lord, what does the Lord immediately tell him to do? He tells him to go back down the mountain and do what he already told him to do. Now, let me get a quick show of hands. Who's ever done mountaineering or rock climbing? That's right, get it up. Um, or just climbed a big mountain or a hill. So quite a few people, right? So if you have, you know that the very last thing you want to be told right when you get to the top of the mountain is just go right back down so you can come right back up. None of us, right? Especially, so if it's this mountain in particular, it has a prominence, so from the base there to the top, it's about a thousand feet, give or take. And, but you can see, it doesn't look like a nice, sloping, easy climb. You have to wind all around. It actually looks like a lot of fun to me, but, you know, we're all different. But anyway, the last thing you want to do is go up just to be told to come back down and go back up. Well, this is exactly what God tells Moses to do. Clearly, there was a need for the people to be told again not to go past the limits or to try to catch a peak of God. But the scriptures, it doesn't give us the full details. Instead, what it does give us is that God gives clear commands to be followed. Well, Moses clearly is not a big fan of this and these instructions and tries to explain that God has already commanded this and the people can't, cannot come up to Mount Sinai because they already put limits in place. Well, the Lord then repeats his command and Moses wisely obeys and does what he's told. So from this section, we can see clearly that consecration is not linear, and we should not expect it, but it's iterative. We cannot expect to go straight to the promised land, right, without first traveling through the wilderness, and we cannot expect to hike up Mount Sinai or whatever mountain without going up and down a few times. What we can expect is to be repeatedly tested, and that we can also expect that God is patient yet firm. Notice when Moses pushes back and when he questions God's wisdom, hey, God, you already told me this. I got this. Like, they can't, they're not going to come up. God doesn't uh, instantly smite him down and he doesn't instantly smite us down. 
He's long-suffering. He's understanding, but he's also firm. And if we do not obey his instructions and follow through with his plan for consecration for us, we will suffer consequences. And he'll use those consequences to pull his followers and us back on track and to grow in consecration in our relationship with him. So really to conclude here, uh, far from being a mundane passage of scripture with nothing radical for us to take away and incorporate into our lives, we, we need to see here that the Lord consecrates us according to his holy purpose and plan. He does so first by saving us out, that initial act of consecration, saving us from our bondage to sin. Without that initial rescue, there's no consecration, there's no follow-on. He further prepares us for consecration through using the circumstances in our lives to draw us into the wilderness and to that mountain in the desert so that he can speak into our lives. He demonstrates that he desires to consecrate us for his purpose as a holy people set apart for his work here on earth. But also that this consecration and purpose requires active obedience and the Lord himself is the one that consecrates us. It's not through our own power. And he does so while using the people and circumstances in our lives. Finally, we see that this is an iterative process, an iterative set of repetition and tests. We should expect to have to be told multiple times. We see this in our kids all the time. And that's easy. We talk about that, right? I don't know how many times I've told you, but clean your room up. But think about in our own lives. Think about what you think through in your own lives and how you're convicted that we get all this instruction in the word, but yet we fall short time and time again. We require God telling us time and time again, and thank God he's patient and long-suffering. And we can also praise him that he doesn't instantly pour out his wrath. But he gives us those chances and he understands, right, through Jesus, our short-sightedness and human weakness. So it was after the slavery, it was after the wilderness, the lack of food and water, and being at the mountain, the foot of the mountain, that the Israelites saw the glory of God on the third day. This points us to Jesus. It is after his passing, Jesus passing through the waters of baptism, his own testing in the wilderness and his crucifixion, that we see his full glory on the third day in his resurrection. So when the first century Jews would have read Matthew's account of the gospel, they would have seen the beauty of how Jesus perfectly fulfilled the Israelites' plight. He wandered without grumbling. He obeyed perfectly. He awaited patiently for the appointed time, and he suffered completely beyond anyone's suffering, past, present, or future. It was after this that we were able to see his glory. And now for us today, you remember when we talked about that life is lived in the in-between, between major events and the big reveals. You and I might be in a season of wilderness wandering or of suffering or of waiting or of any number of things. Not only is the glory of God on the other side of that, the glory of God is seen through these times in the wilderness. If you believe in God, if you believe that God worked through Moses and believe that God worked through Jesus, you can also believe and praise that God can bring you through this season and into his glory. 
If, however, you have not yet recognized and admitted the war and turmoil and lack of peace in your own life, you run the risk of stepping before an awesome and powerful God, having not been purified through Jesus' blood on the cross. When Jesus looks at his followers that have recognized their need for his salvation, who are not perfect but recognize his saving power, God sees the blood of Jesus on the cross. But if, he looks, if he's looking at you, and if you die, and you have not put your faith and trust in him, he does not see the blood of Jesus. He sees you and all your flaws and all your sin. And it's the same as if that you have violated those limits set around Mount Sinai when you stand before him. And you and anybody that hasn't will suffer those consequences. And this isn't Paul speaking. This is straight from Scripture. So this week, let's praise God that he sent his son that he sacrificed his son Jesus on the cross, and by grace he has saved us through faith. If you're sitting here and you haven't accepted that free gift of God, it's not too late. You can, you can deal with that now. You can deal with that by going before Christ. And I encourage you and plead with you to go speak to myself, to speak to any member here today um, to help guide you through that process. But then recognize that's not the end in and of itself. It's the consecration and it's the walk with God and growing in consecration and sanctification. He has set us apart for that consecration of holy purpose to serve him through knowing Jesus and making him known. This is as true in the wilderness of life as it is in the land flowing with milk and honey. Let's recognize this, rest in his will, and praise him for his consecration and perfect plan for our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we come before you just in, in awe of your awesome power and might. We praise you for your salvation. We praise you for your plan that you, you really map out here in Exodus. And the people at that time um, likely didn't even realize um, how nuanced and how wonderful and awesome you were mapping out your plan and their own need for a Savior and for Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your consecration, both initially in salvation and then your ongoing work and active consecration in our lives. We thank you for the testing. You know we need it. Lord, help us recognize that we need it and embrace it and praise you through that testing. And Lord, we praise you for your perfect plan. We honor and glorify you. Amen.